This is the Word of Life AG podcast. We are so happy you are catching up with the message this week. Pastor Tom brought the word this past Sunday with a message out of Psalm 103 called Praise and Remember. Let's check it out. Can we give a big welcome to everyone part of church online this morning? So glad you guys are able to come and be a part of church with us. And just to sort of let you guys know, you might not, um, might not register this, but um, every week, and I do mean every week, I get a chance to meet new people that are coming to church. People will go out of their way to let me know this is the first time visiting um, and that they're here. You know, they were able to watch online, but now they're coming here in person and things like that. And I hope that um, everyone that is coming for the first time, that you feel and that you believe that we are a welcoming church. We're delighted you're here. We hope this is a place where you feel encouraged. Hopefully this is a time of refreshment that you're able to come and hang out with us. So um, massive welcome to those of you that may be new here with us this morning. Uh, last week, I um, shared a message, and I hope that it came with the, the sensitivity and the care and concern that uh, was really what I felt on the inside. But we talked about God's heart for the hurting, and we had a wonderful time at the end of service where the prayer team were down here, and we invited people to come and receive prayer for any reason. And I thought it was worth reminding everybody that the prayer team will be here every week. Uh, typically, at the end of service, they'll be here. And as we invite people to come down for prayer, please remember, this is for any reason at all. It could be directly with what myself or one of the other speaker or communicator is sharing, or it could be whatever. But if you walk in here with any kind of heaviness, the prayer team's down here. They would love to spend some time praying with you and lifting whatever that weight is up to the Lord and believing that you're going to leave here feeling a sense of relief, feeling a sense of confidence that He's got whatever it is that you're fighting through right now. And online, we have our prayer partners. The hosts are ready, willing, and able to pray with you at any moment. So I just wanted to put that reminder out here that the prayer team is ready to pray with everybody. Sound like a plan? All righty. So, God is amazing. Um, he is truly incredible. He has changed my life. I know that I'm not the only one. There are many here today that would say that their relationship, their encounter, that first meeting with Jesus Christ was absolutely life-changing for the better. It is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me is encountering God, the love of God, and engaging with that love of God and committing my life to that and orientating my entire life around how amazing Jesus is. Best thing I've ever done. Somehow, despite it being so amazing, despite it being so incredible, it's unbelievably easy to forget that. God's incredible. He's amazing. His love towards us, His goodness towards us, the fact that He sent His Son for you and for me. It is unbelievably easy to forget those things. It's unbelievable that other things would occupy our attention and other things would get our attention and other things would, would sort of occupy our minds and our headspace and our perspective on life beyond the absolute incredible fact that God loves us so much that He would send His Son for us. This idea of forgetting how wonderful God is, it's not unique to us. There are examples from the Bible where the disciples did this, and I've got a couple to share with you before we get into the rest of this. But the disciples, there's an example where they had forgotten the miracles that they had seen and the miracles they've been a part of. Matthew 16, why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Peter forgot about Jesus telling him, you're going to deny me three times. Mark 14, 72, immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down 
and wept. And even on the day of the resurrection, that very first Easter Sunday, at the empty tomb, the people that went there that ran and found the empty tomb there, they'd forgotten that Jesus tried to prepare them that he would die and that he would rise again. And this is an angel talking. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you. He tried to warn you, and you forgot, you bozos. While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Now, a lot has changed. A lot of history has happened in the last 2,000 years. But something remains the same that we always have infinite reasons to praise God, but life has a way of making it really easy to forget that. And at the root of the word praise, and that's one of the main words we're going to be looking at today, the practice of praise is this idea of proclaiming value. And the reasons that we have today for praising God, that doesn't change. And yet, you and I have an easy way of forgetting those reasons we have to praise God. And the first verse that I want to point to today, and this is really the, uh, a key verse for us, is from Paul's letter to the Romans. And this is a direct, constant reminder. This is a sharp, tough-hitting word that's great to take to heart. Romans 5.8, but God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's proven his love for us. He's demonstrated his love for us. He's put his love for you and for me on display that while we were still sinners, while we were in the middle of our mess, before we ever even tried to apologize for the devastating things that you and I have done in our lives, Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for you and for me. While we were still sinners, while we we're in the middle of our mess, before we ever even tried to fix ourselves up, before we ever even tried to clean ourselves up, Christ died for us. And all this means that God has given us every reason to never stop praising Him. Despite our circumstances, despite the challenges, the Son of God on the cross is all the reason we will ever need to never stop praising Him. Well, we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning going through one of the Psalms, and it's a Psalm written by King David. And it was written to address exactly what we're talking about. And I don't always say this, but if you have a Bible with you, whether it's a, a good old-fashioned paper Bible or whether it's on your phone, um, I would say today is a great day to follow along with us as we get into Psalm 103. Um, it's 22 verses, and so we're going to cover a decent amount of ground. So if you have your Bible, great idea to follow along. Hopefully, that'll be a way for you to get more out of this for today. But the psalm from David, it appears to be very personal. And I don't necessarily mean private, but I mean individualized. This is really as David's heart is being poured out on the page. And he then shared that with the nation to sing as part of their corporate worship together. And consequently, it was recorded in the book of Psalms for the whole world. And we're expected to identify with what David is putting on the page. This should mirror or speak to our experience. So we're going to dig in. Psalm 103, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bible to follow along, that'd be real helpful. Verse 1, let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. And so the intro to the psalm gets us thinking about praises and remembering. It's from the introduction that I got the title for this morning, simply Psalm 103, Praise and Remember. And it starts this idea that we should praise God with all our heart. We should praise His holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. But then it gives that swift warning. 
may I never forget the good things he does for me. Because we've already said, it's unbelievably easy to forget how worthy and how good God is and how good he has been to us. And it brings us to this idea that we can forget. As David says, man, never forget the good things he does. But then he goes on, what are the good things that he does for us? What are the reasons that praise that David is drawing our attention to? Carrying on in verse 3, he forgives all my sins and heals all my disease. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercy. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. What does God do for us? What is it? What is it that's pulled David's attention? What is it on David's mind that he wants to share with us? As he is saying, I want to praise God with everything. I don't want to forget these reasons to praise God. He talks about the forgiveness that God brings, the healing that God brings. He talks about being redeemed and rescued. He talks about God filling our lives with good things. He talks about renewing our strength. And David doesn't stop here, but right from the start, he proclaims that these are some of the reasons we have to never stop praising God. And as he said in his introduction, with our whole heart, with all that we are, David carries on, verse 6, the Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He revealed his character to Moses. David points to Moses to share his heart on this. And there's a specific moment that he has in mind as Moses has come down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He finds that the Israelites are at the bottom and they've already broken half of the commandments and they haven't even heard them yet. And if I come, uh, down comes Moses and there they are worshiping a golden calf, an idol that they'd created. And it's in that moment that Moses has some intimate conversations with God, so intimate that the Bible describes that he would talk to God as with a friend. And as part of these personal intimate conversations, we get this in Exodus 34. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, talking about Moses. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Sounds familiar, right? This is what David is pulling our attention to. Compassion, mercy, slow to anger, fills with unfailing love. To communicate why God is worthy to be praised, why it's important we don't forget how great God is and why he is worthy to be praised. He pulls our attention back to a moment in Israel's history when they deserved no compassion and no mercy. Now, in our house, we have, we're a Google family. We don't mess around with that Apple business. And so we have a, a Google display in our kitchen. Some of you might have an Alexa or something, but it's basically something you say, you know, okay, Google, play Bob Dylan, and the best music America has ever produced comes on the Google. Why is Megan shaking her head? I don't get what is happening. You should have pity on Megan. She's listened to a lot of Bob Dylan over the years, and she hasn't enjoyed a bit of it. But anyway, that's what we call a digression. We have this Google display in our kitchen, and you sort of say, okay, Google, you know, how many donuts does it take to get to the moon and all that stuff? Um, but it has a little, like, five or six-inch display. And on the five or six-inch display, I was able to set it up so that we could put some family pictures on there. So there's a, a folder that I've set up. There's maybe 100 or so pictures in there. And there's stuff from, you know, our wedding day and vacations we've been on and cute pictures of the kids and pictures when the kids were babies and all those things. And it kind of rotates through. I think it's every two minutes it changes picture. And it's right next to our coffee pot. So a pretty typical scenario in the Woodhouse is that myself and 
Megan will be making a coffee, and right there we're able to see a nice picture of the kids or something. That's kind of the idea, you know, the idea, you, you kind of get the idea? We've got these cute pictures of the kids. David does the opposite here. David is pulling our attention not to, here's a nice cute picture, but here's the very worst picture. David is pulling our attention, you know, he's not saying like, hey, here's a real highlight. It's saying, no, here's the worst of the worst. To show God's goodness and demonstrate why he's worthy of praise, he draws our attention to one of the worst moments in Israel's history. This would be like me having a picture of the kids on our little Google display of them at their very worst, when they have made the biggest mistakes of their life. In the moments immediately following the biggest regrets that they have, that's the picture that we've chosen to put out there. And then pointing to that picture, not the, wasn't it great that day we went to the beach? Not that picture of, remember how much fun we had at that birthday? Not the, hey, Megan, wasn't our wedding day wonderful? But instead, taking a picture from the very worst day in the middle of our biggest mess-ups, pointing to that picture, and letting that picture speak to the goodness of God. It's pointing to that picture and me saying to the kids, kids, when you did that thing and you got in that much trouble and you had to go through that much consequence, whatever it is, do you remember afterwards I hugged you and told you I still love you? That's what David's doing to pull our attention to this moment in Moses' life where he said the Israelites messed up big time. Moses has come down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. They're there worshiping a golden calf, pretending the golden calf split the ocean in two so they could cross the Red Sea. That's the moment David points to and says, in that moment, God gave so much compassion, so much unfailing love, so much mercy. And that's what he wants us to get. After we're done with the punishment, Moses, Elijah, and Esther, remember how I hugged you, told you I loved you, told you it's going to be okay. That's what David's pointing to. It's not looking at the happy family picture next to the coffee pot. This is reminding them on their worst day, I loved you. On your worst day, when you made your dumbest choices, I loved you in an indescribable way. He goes on, David points out four things that God doesn't do. Verse 9, Psalm 103, he will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. He doesn't constantly accuse us. He doesn't remain angry forever. He doesn't punish us for all our sins. He doesn't deal harshly with us. And the word accuse, your translation may say a different word. It appears that the word in the Hebrew is actually pretty difficult to translate to English, so we have it in our Bibles. But in the New Living Translation, they've translated it as accuse. But in other translations, it may have strive or contend. And the picture that's being painted is that God doesn't want to have a contentious, argumentative, or strange relationship with us. God doesn't want to have a relationship that's filled with accusations and strife. That's not what he desires as he relates with us. And similarly, God does not remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us. But the inference being, it would be justifiable for him to do so. And the psalm carries on looking at not what he does or doesn't do, but rather who he is, which essentially means we get to hear, why does God do the good things he does? Why does he forgive and heal and redeem and fill our lives with good things and renew our strengths? Why is it that he's full of compassion and mercy and slow to anger and filled with unfailing love? Why doesn't he consistently accuse us 
Why doesn't he remain angry forever or punish us for all our sins? Why doesn't he deal harshly with us? Verse 11, for his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. I'm going to read this again. Why, is God, why does God act this way towards us? Why does he forgive us? Why does he treat us so well? Why is he so full of mercy? Why is he slow to anger? For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Unfailing love, he's removed our sins, and he is compassionate. I want to read a, a quote to you from uh, a British preacher, which means you know you can trust him. Um, Mango Charles Spurgeon, a number of you will be familiar with him. He was a 19th century preacher in London, and he's still widely read today over 100 years after his death. And uh, I think the reason is, is that he has a very moving and inspiring way with words. So I wanted to read this to you. This is talking specifically about the, uh, the portion of removing our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. David speaks of his sins being forgiven, knowing it to be a matter of fact which there is no room to question. The gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that there is pardon, that we may have it, and that when we believe in Jesus, we have obtained full remission, that we are pardoned when we believe in Jesus and our iniquities are forgiven us. It is a matter signed, sealed, and delivered. How many of you knew that Spurgeon was influenced by Stevie Wonder? Okay, that was a lot funnier in my head. All right. A fact accomplished before the Lord and infallibly ascertainably by us. I am thankful that in this verse there is a broad way of speaking that takes in a whole compass of enumeration. He has removed our sins. That sweeps them away all at once. Our sins, he has removed them all. From the cradle to the tomb, they are gone. Sins in private and sins in public, sins of thought, word, and deed are all removed. The moment we believe in Jesus, they are all, all, all gone. Now finally, notice the absolute perfection of the pardon. God has taken his people's sins away from them to an infinite distance. That is to say, there is no fear that their sins should ever return to them. They are gone, 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 completely gone. Our sins are so effectively removed that we will not ultimately suffer any loss or damage through having sinned. That detriment was laid on Christ. His was the loss. Ours is the gain. His was the tremendous suffering. Ours is the unutterable joy. Come on, that is worth celebrating. God has given us every reason to never stop praising him. Verse 14, for he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. God remembers our frailty and our weakness. He has understanding and empathy towards us and our struggles. The book of Hebrews is a letter that was written shortly after Jesus died and ascended back to heaven. 
And it was written to a group of Jewish Christians about how God's relationship to the Jewish people and all he commanded and how he related to them as his people helps bring us understanding of who Jesus is. And we're going to read a a passage that gives comparison between Jesus and the high priest that would uh, serve in the temple in Jerusalem. And this is Hebrews 4.15. This high, high priest of ours, talking about Jesus, understands our weaknesses. For he faced, as a human, all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Let us come boldly to see God who understands and empathizes our weakness and our struggles and our frailties and our inabilities and the fight that we're up against and the pain that we're walking through. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Part of the humanity of Jesus means he understands our weakness, struggles, frustrations, hurt. He's not distant or aloof. He's walked to this earth and knows that life can be a slippery tightrope. And it is amazing to me, and will always be amazing to me, that the creator of the universe, who has a very long list of dirt on me, loves me so much that he shows empathy, love, and compassion to me. We reread a couple of the verses from Psalm that we've already covered. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him, for he knows how weak we are. The promise from Hebrews is that we can, because of this understanding, compassion, and empathy, we can approach him boldly and find his mercy and grace. Carrying on, verse 17. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. How can God's unfailing love be as great as the height of the heavens above the earth? Because his throne is established in the heavens. How can he remove our sins as far from the east as from the west? Because from his throne in heaven, he rules over everything, the full landscape of creation. And when we praise and remember, we are joined by the angels. Psalm 103, verse 1, all the way back to the beginning. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. This psalm, as I went through it this week, I thought it was worth walking back through the different points that I was able to share with you and the different things that stood out. And there's a lot. I'm conscious that we covered a lot of ground today. But I wanted to bring it to you and sort of demonstrate that here we have Psalm 103 where David is telling us this is the heart of God. This is who God is. This is how he works in our lives. This is how he operates. And it was amazing how easy, and I really mean easy, it was to look at those qualities that David is pouring on the page about who God is and how he moves in our lives. And then flip over a couple of books in the Bible and get to the New Testament and see how Jesus embodies all of this. 
I want to walk back through some of these things we talked about and then point out some New Testament scriptures that just encapsulate and embody that this is the heart of Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior. We read in Psalm 103 that God forgives. First John, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. We read that it's God that heals. In 1 Peter 2, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. We read that God redeems and rescues. In Titus 2, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. We read in the psalm that God fills our lives with good things. 2 Corinthians 9, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Renews our strength. Philippians 4.13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. We read about compassion. Matthew 9.36, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Mercy. First Peter, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Filled with unfailing love, John 1:14. So the word, Jesus, became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. We saw in the psalm that God doesn't constantly accuse us. John 8, 10. This is Jesus as the woman who's been brought in adultery, has been brought in front of him. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. We read that God doesn't remain angry forever. In 1 Thessalonians, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. God doesn't punish us for all our sins, for everyone has sinned. In the book of Romans, we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. God doesn't deal harshly with us. In the book of Romans, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? And lastly, we saw that God shows incredible empathy to us in our weakness. Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. In the psalm, we see so much of the goodness of God. And we see as God the Son walked the earth, he encapsulated, embodied, and demonstrated this goodness everywhere he went everything he was a part of, every way he went, every single thing he was a part of, he encapsulated what this psalm points to. God that loves us, God that forgives us, a God that heals, redeems, a God that has incredible mercy, a God that wants to fill our lives with good things, that wants to renew our strength. 
Jesus encapsulates and embodies all of that. And yet, it is unbelievably easy to forget all of it. I got three suggestions, three things that might be helpful, might be something that helps us to remember. The first thing, how to remember number one, look at what God has done. In the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Genesis, the people of God, when God did something incredible, they would build an altar. And it was a physical structure that was used to perform an animal sacrifice, but it was built as a permanent structure with a level of intentionality that we're building this forever to be a marker and reminder of what God did. It was a visual reminder. We see Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, David, and others all built altars in response to God doing something amazing. We get this verse in Exodus 20. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be remembered, and I will come to you and bless you. For you to remember what God has done and not forget, not fall into that trap that's very easy to fall in, have some kind of visual reminder. What, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means for you. Maybe it's just as simple as writing it down in a journal so that at a moment's notice you can get it, put it in front of your eyes, and be reminded of the goodness of God. Second thing, how to remember. Number two, talk about what God has done. Talk about what God has done. Revelation 12, verse 10. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, talking about the devil, has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. Defeated him, the blood of the Lamb, talking about the blood of Jesus on the cross. But we're also told that the testimony, the story, and the retelling of God's goodness is what defeats the plans of the enemy. Why? Simply because by talking about something, by retelling the story, it gets roots down deep in our heart. Megan and I will often talk about the incredible ways we've seen God move in our lives. It refreshes the impact it has, and consequently the impact it can still have. Third thing, how to remember, number three, think about what God has done. Look at what God has done, talk about what God has done, think about what God has done. Another Psalm, Psalm 77. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord, I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. And in a world where our minds can be filled with any number of things, there is no shortage of things trying to take our attention. So many things fighting for our time, for our headspace. Make it a priority to have the goodness of God occupying your thoughts and your mind. So on top of those three things, those three ideas, there's two questions that I want to put to you. And I find it's normally helpful to do this at the end of a message to hopefully give us something to think about, maybe even come back to midweek and pray through. But a couple of questions that if you're able to write this down, this may be real helpful for you. First question is, what are the good things that cause you to praise God? What are the good things that cause you to praise God? Maybe there's a miracle that you've been a part of. God moving in an unexplainable way, a true, honest-to-goodness miracle that you have been a part of. Maybe it's a tough season that he's got you through. Maybe it's a blessing and a good thing that there's no way you could have generated this yourself and yet you find yourself in a great spot. Get that down, make a note of it, keep it in front of you, keep it in the forefront of your mind, talk about it. What are the good things that cause you to praise God? And the second thing, how can you make sure you remember? Maybe it's writing it down, maybe it is having something visual, maybe it's talking about it, but how can you make sure that you remember? I had um, a really cool moment when I was in Bible college. The, I started 
one course in Bible college. It was uh, going to be going through a pastoral training program. And the idea was that it was 50% in the classroom and 50% practical. So you'd learn a bunch of stuff and then you'd go and do what you just learned and be a part of different teams and put into practice all the stuff you'd learned in the classroom. After doing that for a few months, I believe then, and I still believe now, that the right decision was to switch from the program I was doing to a different one that was 100% in the classroom. And anything that we put into practice, any practicum was just done off our own back. So I decided to make that switch, and I uh, left the program that was really practical pastoral training and did a theology program. Now, I knew that by getting into a, a bachelor's degree in theology program, there's going to be a lot of things like, you know, Christian philosophy. There's going to be a lot of history. There's going to be a lot of Bible background. We're going to be looking at the languages that the Bible was written in originally, all these different things. And one day, I'm in church. It was a Sunday. And the next day, Monday, I was about to start classes. So Sunday I'm in church, Monday I'm about to start classes, and on Sunday in church, we're in worship, just like we were this morning, and I just felt the Lord say to me, get up early tomorrow and read Romans. Now, if the Lord says something drastic, like sell your house and move, you take your time with that one. You, you know what I'm saying? Like you ask people's advice about that one. When it's get up early and read Romans, what's the worst that's gonna happen? You read Romans. So got up early, read Romans, and I'm anticipating the Lord to speak through the reading of this book of the Bible. And I'm reading chapter one, okay, chapter two, okay, chapter three, okay, chapter four, okay. I get to chapter five, and a verse leapt out at me. And it's the verse I shared with you first off today, Romans 5, 8, but God clearly shows and proves His own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I knew in an instant when I read that verse why it was leaping off of the page, how God was using that verse in that moment to help shape my thinking and get me on the right track was because I was about to dive in the deep, deep end with all this theology and philosophy and all the history and all the academics of studying the Bible and getting ready for ministry. This was God saying to me, you can learn all of it. But never, ever forget, this is about my son on a cross for people that don't deserve it. But because I love them more than you'll ever understand, I did it. While we were still sinners, in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our regrets, before we ever even tried to get our act together, Christ died for us. And you may be here today and you may have never heard the message of Jesus. You may have heard it many, many times. But for whatever reason, something from today has just hit home about how amazing Jesus is. And you know that you're ready to start following him today. I want to invite everyone here, if you want to just closing your eyes and bowing your heads, let's just give some discretion to people around you so we can focus on what really matters right now. But if you be honest enough and brave enough today to say, you know what, I'm not following God, but I want to start today. I believe He died for me. I believe on that first Easter Sunday, He rose from the dead and He conquered the power of sin and death, that He paid a price on that cross that I definitely couldn't, and I'm ready to follow Him. If this is you today, I'd love to pray for you, both in person and online. I want to invite you, just a moment, just put your hand up, just so I know who we're praying for in just a moment. Amen. Anybody else here? Online, just click the button that says, I raise my hand. I promise I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'd love to know who we're praying for. Anybody else here today? Amen. Awesome.
Amen. 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 Come on, Word of Life. Let's celebrate people making the best decision any of us could ever make. We're going to pray a prayer together, and we do this at the end of every service. The words that can be on the screen, I encourage you, I'm going to say a line, and then you just shout it back. And if you put your hand up and you're praying this for the first time, do this confident that this is a powerful prayer that can change everything. So come on, everyone. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, one more time, everybody. Let's celebrate those people making a decision. All right. All right, everybody, let's welcome Megan. Hey, real quick before you tune out, how can we pray for you this week? I want to challenge you to head to our website, that's wordoflifeag.org, and scroll down to the tile that says Need Prayer. While you're on our website, feel free to check out our Next Steps page to find more ways to get connected to us. You can check out all of that and more at our website, www.wordoflifeag.org. Have an awesome week.